Greetings, Blenders, and welcome to episode number 74 of Real Blend, a podcast that has a bad case of summer sequel fatigue. And that Aww. might be me individually, um, but I'll get the viewpoints of the other guys in a moment because it's starting to feel like there's nothing fresh out there right now. Um, my name is Sean O'Connell, the managing director here at Cinema Blend. I am joined, as always, uh, by my illustrious co-hosts. I'm going to start this week with... Jake Hamilton of Fox Me. 32 in Chicago. Hi, Jakey. How are you? I love the word illustrious. I love when you throw a good adjective out there to describe us. I use that often to describe you guys, I too. I know. It's, it like, also, it's like you only know like four adjectives. <laughs> it also applies to Kevin McCarthy of Fox 5 in Washington, D.C. Kevin, hi. How are you? Hello, Sean. Hello, Jacob. How are you guys doing? <laughs> good. Very Kevin, good. Thank you. Good to see you. <laughs> uh, we're there's there's no like formalizing my name. I know. Apparently. And Jacob Jonathan and, and Jonathan. Jacob and Gabriel. <laughs> Gabrielle. Gabrielle, yeah. Uh, we, we, don't, are, we don't speak his name. We're not together in London uh, as we so often are on this podcast now. <laughs> we're all back home in our home bases uh, recuperating. I have and a question. Re- uh, recording via Skype. Yes, Jake. If, if It's not quite Gabe, the question part of the podcast, but if is, you want to start it now, we'll do if, that. If Gabe is John Lennoning us. And going his own way. Does that make Eric Eisenberg Yoko Ono? Yoko Ono? I don't know if yeah. it's Eric specifically or if it's just the hero, the hero Blend podcast as an entity. If you were to personify Hero Blend, it would be Yoko Ono, for sure. Wow. I know. That's very fitting that you bring this up, Jake, because we're going to talk about yesterday, uh, this week. Yeah, it's only yesterday I remember about. Gabe would get back to my texts. I just remember, yeah. I remember all those. His, his life is basically the plot of that movie. He woke up and forgot about us. Yeah, literally. <laughs> and, 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 now, and now he's doing a podcast yeah. as if we don't exist. You're right. You're 100% By right, By ripping Jake. us off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like someone tweeted, I think it was Arthur, who was live tweeting last week's episode. And he's like, first 11 minutes of this podcast is everybody is ripping Gabe and I'm okay with it. <laughs> People uh, love to rip on Gabe. What they don't realize is Gabe's not a real person. He's someone we made up for the benefit of the show. Yeah. Gabe he, is Kevin's mom. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Hey, mom. Right. Anyway, so this week, um, as I mentioned, we are going to be reviewing uh, yesterday without spoilers. We're going to be discussing um, either you guys see Annabelle, Annabelle Comes Home. I have not. No. Uh, I don't even no. know if they screened it in Chicago yet. Dang it. All right. Anyway. It and opens Ke- Friday. Kevin and I are going to give um, first spoiler-free reactions to Toy Story 4, and then we're going to get into some in-depth spoilers about the latest Toy Story sequel. The two of us caught up with it over the weekend. Jake couldn't be bothered, uh, so he will step away at that point during the show. We also have the first part of our very special interview. Um, <laughs> Jake, what were you watching instead? You were watching something else. Oh, I, I watched Under, Under the Silver, Silver Lake. Lake. Yeah. yeah. Can we Which talk about that now? It's an 18-hour-long movie. Well, I, don't I don't want to get too much into it, but it's, it's, it was interesting. It's from the director of It Follows, and uh, it popped up on Amazon Prime. Uh, $5 to rent or $5 to buy. Right. And I was a huge fan of It Follows. It was on my top ten list that year, and I'm an Andrew Garfield fan, and, and I'm a fan of Film Noir, which was it was supposed to be. And uh, I was kind of t- live texting you. And it was right. funny because I would text him and be like, dude, you really need to see this. And then I, 10 minutes later, I'd text him and be like, nah, dude, it sucks. Don't worry about it. And then 10 minutes later, I was like, I changed my mind. You really need to see this. And then 10 minutes later, I was like, I don't know, dude, never mind. Is so, it like uh, brick at all? I, I kind of think it's like brick, but maybe not. It's sort of a, a stoner version of Mulholland Drive. Oh, that's really interesting. Which I would, that's, how, you know, but it's, it's the, the best way I could sum it up is like, you know, you know that old phrase, just because you're paranoid doesn't mean you're not right. Yeah. 
that phrase wrapped around a modern film noir around through Los Angeles. What if like every friend you had that had this wild and crazy urban myth legend theory turned out to be right? Ooh. It's and you know it, it goes a thousand different directions, and nine hundred ninety nine of them don't have anything to do with the main plot. Like you're gonna look back and go, what what did plot X have to do with anything? And the answer is nothing. The answer so is nine, nothing. Ninety nine plots, but a plot eight one. But uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's exactly right. So um, I'd be very curious. Honestly, I'm in that situation. You ever like see something and you want other people to see it? Not necessarily because it's great. But just because you can have that way, you can have someone to talk about it with. I don't know anyone else that's seen this movie, right. so I want you guys to see it. Not because it's a truly great movie, because I'm not entirely sure it is. I'm not entirely sure it isn't either. But I just want to talk about it with someone. Right, right. Um, I, I, I do want to mention because Jake mentioned it as well. It follows one of the most incredible horror films. Right. In the, the, years. the irony of a horror film: the only way to survive, you have to have sex. Yeah. The complete antithesis to what most horror films are. It's such a brilliant idea. Did you guys hear about um, Jake's favorite uh, Topher Grace movie? <laughs> Under the Silver Jake? Yeah, there we go. Beautiful. Is Topher Grace in it? <laughs> yeah, Apparently. briefly. And there's a great, there's a great very subtle uh, Spider-Man joke in there that's uh, for, for Andrew Garfield. Is it because he's Venom? Topher Grace no. is Venom. Oh, no, 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 no. I forgot. I'd say I even forgot he was Venom. He probably forgot he's Venom. Where do you two fall on Inherent Vice? I think that, that's. I actually don't like Inherent Vice, which is I, interesting because I, I've heard a lot of comparisons between Inherent Vice and Under the Silver Lake. Inherent Vice is one of my least favorite Paul Thomas Anderson movies. What's your bottom Gabe, favorite? My well, uh, we've done PTA Blend. I think we've all agreed on Boogie Nights. Yes, um, but I adore Inherent Vice. I think Inherent oh. Vice is his weakest story. I do, and I think Phantom Thread is one of his best. And I know it's one of his most recent films, but I'm just trying to think of his recent movies and which ones have been like I would put into his classic category. I think Phantom Thread is up there for sure. Well, but Magnolia. I love Phantom Thread. Oh, I like. There, I love Magnolia. There will Magnolia. be blood. Obviously, I love. There yeah. will be blood. Anything. So that's why I'm excited about that Paul Thomas Anderson Netflix thing. Um, I think it's called. I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head. It's 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 Dom York, the lead singer of Radiohead. Yeah. Is doing a Netflix like it's like a short film of some short of some sort uh, with Paul Thomas Anderson. They announced it, I believe, last week. I think it premieres this week. I want to oh. look check it out. I'm not, I'm not. I'm not. This is not a joke. I'm not setting up a pun here. Um, but Paul Thomas Anderson and Tom. Now the reason why it's interesting is because Paul Thomas Anderson has worked with Johnny Greenwood for years. Now Johnny Greenwood is a guitar player from Radiohead, right. and Johnny Greenwood did the scores for There Will Be Blood. Phantom Thread, Thread yeah. um, Inherent Vice. I want to say Magnolia, but don't quote me on that. Um, but Johnny Greenwood is... That's why I find it interesting. And this Tom York thing sounds fascinating to me. I can't remember... It starts with an A. I can't remember the name off the top of my head, but um, I'm interested in seeing it for sure. I mean, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson is amazing. While you are doing that, and I know that we are completely off the rails with ADD uh, podcasting at this point now, but I'm getting through Chernobyl, and I'm about to enter into episode four. The score for Chernobyl is amazing. And I know... Okay. Didn't he only use, like, sounds from equipment that would be found in radioactive plants? Is I that true? I, I, not heard I that. didn't know that. That's pretty oh, awesome, that's though. That's news I to me. I think that that's where I read or heard, but it's super unnerving. The score is super unnerving. And I'm going into episode four, which now, I know you I feel like the past few days you've been saying that you've gotten through three 
and you were about to go into four. I feel like yeah. you've been about to go into four for a few days. Are you like <laughs> hesitant to go into it because how, yeah. of how much we've talked it up? Yeah, yeah, that's definitely a factor. Um, it really is. But also, um, Michelle was out of town this weekend, and so I had the boys, um, and so I gelled with a lot of trying to watch Chernobyl, but then I watched Ghostbusters with Brendan, and then PJ and I watched Point Break, and so we were all so over awesome. The place. We were all over the place. Yeah. You got you to tell that Point Break story. And uh, just the sidebar, because I know I, I went off track with that Thom York thing. It's called Anima. I believe it's spelled A-N-I-A-N-I-M-A. So Thom York's new album, I believe, is called that. And they're releasing it simultaneously with a it's called a one reeler, which is a, a short film directed by Paul Thomas Anderson that hits Netflix on Friday, the 27th. Nice. Awesome. So uh, cool. I'm interested in that for sure. And Paul Thomas Anderson is one of the few directors who's still thankfully shooting on film. And I was luckily lucky to be able to see Phantom Thread in 70 mil. They, he shot 35, blew it up, to, blew it up to 70. Um, but it is he is one of the best of our time. I love. We him. went to the Dome. We saw it in the Dome in L.A. It wasn't it that's awesome. That, that movie is Phantom Thread is one of my favorite, most recent films I've seen. I love that movie so it's much. Really beautiful. Okay, so yeah. um, no new reviews this week. Um, so do us a favor, of course. And this is you know my OCD kicking in. We're at 59 reviews. And I just need to be at a round number. So if someone could just get us to 60, like, I don't care what you say. It could be, you know, a totally negative review. Just get us to 60 because it's I'm uncomfortable while it's sitting I'm, text, I'm texting my mom right now. I'll get I'll take it taken care Please of. Please do. Yes. Yeah. Thank you very much. I appreciate no it. Yeah. All right. Uh, the rest of you head over to Apple Podcasts. Write us a review. Don't forget, we are also available on other places like Google Podcasts, Spotify, just about everywhere the podcasts are served. You guys can download the latest episodes. Um, this is really important, too. Gabe said this a long time ago, and we should be saying it more often, um, but sharing the podcast with people who you think would appreciate it is super important. Like, that's kind of our advertising budget, you know? Like, we are uh, presenting these shows each week to a really loyal fan base, and people are contributing to our social media, uh, and when we do the blend games and things like that, it's been fantastic to see so many people get involved. The best way to continue to grow out to the community aspect of this Real Blend family is to let people that you think love movies as much as we do and want to talk about movies the way that we talk about them, whether they're old movies or things coming to movie theaters, is to just let people know that, to, you know, give us a try. Try a couple of episodes, put it on your car, listen to it while you are um, commuting back and forth to work or just killing time. I listen to podcasts a bunch while I'm like, cleaning up after cooking dinner or something like that. I'll put it on my phone and just listen to stuff. So share yeah. us with a friend. Tell them that we will obviously welcome them with open arms. We're always looking to grow the the Blender Army. So that's where we're at with that in terms of that. Uh, blender Army. The I haven't blender? heard Blender Army yet. No, that's, that's awesome. Wow. I'm trying. I'm trying it. I'm going to brand wow. the T-shirt that way. And uh, I like it, though. Yeah, thanks. We'll pass about the uh, at the next meetup. Uh, talking points. Okay, so this dropped after we recorded... Our latest London excursion, the trailer for Dr. Sleep. And Dude, YouTube, the tra- Dr. Sleep trailer dropped like a month ago. Yeah. A month? Was it a month? Yeah, you're sleeping on that, man. It's been, it's been out for a couple weeks now, for it sure. It was like yeah. two weeks. I mean, well, like, we, we want to talk. We haven't talked about it, but it's been We're, out for a hot second. Oh, all right. Anyway, so it's out, and I refuse to watch it. Um, Explain. Oh, here are my headphones. Um, because I'm holding this book right here. And this is Dr. Sleep. I got a copy of Dr. Sleep to read in London. I'm only 53 pages into it. Uh, this is a sequel to The Shining, uh, not traditionally. It follows a, the much older version of Danny Torrance, um, who I know in the movie is going to be played by Ewan McGregor. 
it has traces of his experience uh, at the Overlook Hotel, where he was first turned on to his ability um, to shine, to communicate with people uh, and to read thoughts and, and feel different things. Um, but he, it's a it's a broader story about a group of religious cult of some sort, I believe, that he's going to be interacting with and battling them to save the soul of some girl. That's the premise, essentially. Um, I don't want to see any visuals from it. Like, I want to read the book as pure as possible. I kind of know who Rebecca Ferguson is playing. I know who Ewan McGregor is playing, but I'm avoiding the trailer at all costs. And sometimes with this job, you're so immersed in the marketing and covering every angle of a new movie coming out that when I'm able to avoid stuff, uh, I, I really would like to try. So yeah, I didn't Sean, see it. Yes. I was curious within your research. I know uh, I know that Jake is a huge Stephen King fan. Huge. Uh, I was just curious. Have, have you ever researched about Stephen King's favorite <laughs> MCU character? I don't know if you guys have heard about this. Is Dr. Strangesleep? No, that, 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 that's a good one. I didn't think about that one. But uh, Stephen King's favorite uh, MCU character. Hold on. Um, Jake, any, any idea on this? I do not I, know. I, it, no. I, I quit. Stan I quit. Lee Kubrick. <laughs> yeah, that's actually, yeah, thank you. That's actually pretty good. Thank I like you, it. Thank you, thank All you. right, thoughts on the trailer? You both have watched it. <laughs> well, uh, what'd you think? It's honestly, it's funny because Kevin and I got into something before we started recording. The thing that I most wanted to talk about, that I love the most, Kevin hated. I oh, there's, there's, wait, wait. Well, not I hated. Said, Oh, wait, you said final shot. The final shot of that trailer is when he's falling sideways, correct? No, the final shot of the trailer is when he puts his face through the door. Oh, I don't like that shot at all. I, I love, like, I got chills. It's so I, on the nose. No. I thought it was subtle. I thought I thought it was, I thought it was beautifully done. Does I he thought say here's now, Johnny? Now, Does he say here's Johnny? No, no he's, gonna, he's no, going he to just, the movie, like, though. He's just, like, he's just... He like like you know there's the gap and he just kind of like looks through it like that but it's okay. just so, the way it's fra it's framed the same but yeah, of course no he doesn't say here's Johnny apparently Danny's a huge Keanu Reeves fan so I think he says oh, he, I think he says I think, I think he says here's Johnny mnemonic <laughs> this time I think when he looks through the the, the wall I don't know why but here's uh, Johnny uh, Utah yeah it's very weird well, you know, it's, uh, it's crazy so there are a lot of shots in the trailer so I'm trying to get us back on track Gabe I'm doing my best there are a lot of shots in the trailer that are that look like they're straight out of Kubrick's The Shining, but except for uh, there's one shot of uh, the the bloody elevators that is from Kubrick's Shining. All the other ones are recreations, and they're amazing recreations. Uh, uh, Flanagan did an amazing job, like recreating the details of that. Um, I, honestly, I'm psyched that, but I but it's funny that that we disagree so much because the the one thing I was excited to talk about when we said that we were going to talk about this trailer was that last shot of the trailer I, which is him putting his 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 face up through the through the gap but it's interesting because but I, what I'm curious about is as a fan of both the book and and Kubrick's movie there are a lot of sort of branch off like massive branches where where they where they're different and I'm curious as to how they're going to uh touch on specifically the remnants of the hotel itself, because the hotel blows up at the right. end of the, the Shining book. Yes. It's not there and, anymore. And that so, gets addressed very early in the book yeah. from what I've read so far. And that, that was going to be my question, and neither of you have read the book. Is that correct? No, I've read the book. Jake's oh, read, you the read the book. book. But I'm curious Jake's the, the biggest the Stephen book. King fan I've ever met, yeah. But, like, people that go see Dr. Sleep, they're, I'd say 90% of them probably will not have read the, the King's Shining book. Their, their memories are of the, the Kubrick Sure. Uh, 
So I'm curious as to like they're expecting the hotel to be there. But Jake, so far in the book, like Danny talks about his time at the Overlook briefly. But like, is the Overlook prominent throughout the story of Doctor Sleep? From what I remember, because I read it whenever it came out, yeah. the that the cult kind of uses, from what I remember, uh, like the the remnants, the, the 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 ground of the Overlook Hotel as sort of like a camping site. Oh, that's cool. Uh, because okay. it's a it's a very like it's a very strong. Um, uh, uh, presence of of the shine. Okay, I want to I clarify one thing. So uh, when we're talking about the Dr. Sleep trailer, you know, when Jake said it was his favorite shot, uh, I wasn't trying to be confrontational. I actually genuinely thought that the shot Jake was referring to, and correct me if I'm wrong, I haven't watched it more than once, but Jake, that shot that I'm thinking of is the one where the room turns sideways as he Yeah, that's a cool down. shot too, but that's not right. the last shot of the trailer. That's the shot I thought you were talking about. Okay, no. so um, I am in no way trying to be indifferent so what you're saying, I felt that the shot of him looking through the door was the only shot to me oh, that, that's, that, that was my, felt that's so funny. on the nose. Like, it felt like, I don't know, there's something, and I said this to you guys before we went uh, started recording. It's, it, to me, it's like Linda Hamilton saying, I'll be back in the Terminator movie. See, it's now, like, okay, now, if, let, if, if he had put his face up to the door and, like, whispered, here's Johnny, then I would have, like, rolled my eyes. But to me, it was very subtle, because he just walks up to the door, <sighs> a door that is so iconic and yeah. just kind of glances through. And there, to me, there's no, like, it, you don't hear Jack's line. You don't, he doesn't try to say it. To, to me, just just the, him, I got chills of just him sort of like glancing through and kind of the framing of it. I thought it was fantastic. Gabe, where, thumbs up, thumbs down. Where do you stand on that shot? He likes there it. There it um, is. There the last it is. thing I'll say before we move on, I do want to say that um, we've seen, so recently in Ready Player One, obviously we saw what Spielberg was able to redo with recreating yeah. um, The Shining uh, and I, I do wonder, Jake, uh, to your point about the staircase bl- or the um, elevator blood sequence. Do you think that that was the real elevator blood sequence that, shot? Well, they, uh, no, no, said no. That, that was in in uh, Ready Player One. Oh, I don't when, know. I know it, it would it, probably be. That's a good question. It would. I would imagine if it was easier for Flanagan to just use Kubrick's, it would probably be easier because because the framing was the same, wasn't it? So so for, no, I don't yeah, know. I don't know. The framing's different because I think that character of H walks up to it. Yeah, right? and then, I, like, I think it would. I think for I think Spielberg would have to recreate that. Yeah, because H would need to be a part of it. And it what did Flanagan say about recreating? Flanagan said they recreated most. I think of the I, I just I just saw uh, a quote where they were talking about like the shots specifically in the trailer, which you have not seen. But there are several shots in the trailer that reference the Overlook Hotel, and he had said that all of them are his original work except for. The blood coming out of the elevators. Did you guys know? Did Stephen King come out and say he he's a, he approves this movie? I think yeah, so. but he also yeah. approved Dark Tower. So, but 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 he hates <laughs> The Shining. So he he doesn't he doesn't hate The Shining as a film. He hates The Shining as an adaptation of his work. So what what, what exactly? Okay, all right. In Ready Player One, and again, I'm going back to that movie because we're, yeah. it's, it's one of the most recent Kubrick things that we've seen kind of recreated on screen. They they claim that Stephen Stephen King hates The Shining. Well, because because he, he hates how different. I mean, it's a vastly there are so many aspects of The Shining movie that are different. His big thing uh, that King always talks about is that the tragedy of The Shining is that Jack Torrance, who is a flawed man at the beginning of the book, is driven to this point by the Overlook Hotel. And King's right. argument is from the first shot 
he was of Jack crazy. Nicholson, you look at that man and go, that man is crazy. Like okay. he is that that man looks like he's going to go crazy. And there is no now there are some aspects of the book that I agree with Kubrick that just wouldn't have translated the um, the uh, the animal um, uh, uh, like br- like they're, they're, what, what do you call it when you when you chop up uh, topiaries? Like, topiaries. Did the TV topiaries. show do that though? Didn't, didn't yeah, look, and it was bad. I remember it that. It was really yeah. bad. Okay. Um, so those things. Uh, Coming to life was bad, but okay. Uh, you know, trailer, trailer is amazing, though. By the way, I will say that the only thing I didn't love was that one shot, but I will give that trailer credit. And I have complete faith after episode six of Haunting of Hill House. I think was the four oh. 18 minute shot, so I'm all in. So you know, count me in, no question. I want Gabe. Gabe, I know you don't talk on this show, but when the embargo lifts, Gabe got to go to the set of Doctor Sleep. Oh. By the way, and Gabe texted me um, moments that he was encountering. Uh, from the set, much the way you were texting me it's under the Silver Lake stuff. And so when we can talk about it, uh, Gabe, you're coming on the show. And I'm not so sure he is. That's a, no, that's a no. good decision. <laughs> I've already I've already heard from yeah. the corporate. Um, Gabe yeah. is actually doing that on Hero Blend. Like oh, he, uh, he covered that, that for Hero Blend, not not Cinema Blend or not Real Blend. <laughs> that was covered for Hero Blend with the future a- aspect of him doing that. So pretty soon it's just going to be a podcast called Gabe Blend, and it'll just be yeah. Gabe yeah. all the time. Yeah, watch out, Hero Blend. Watch out. Yeah. All right, um, my Point Break story. You guys asked me to tell my Point Break story. I'll tell it really really fast. Um, Michelle was at a wedding uh, this weekend and so I had the boys home with me and it's always kind of fun when uh, I can get Bren to go to sleep because Bren's 11 and I can watch something with PJ who's 15 uh, who is you know something's a little more like I gotta get like a shelf of things that are just like all right when he's a little bit older we'll we'll pull that off the shelf but the thing I have to keep reminding everybody about is that you know movies aren't PJ's thing necessarily he's into video games and he's into the NBA and he, he plays basketball so when he watches so do you movies just cry yourself me, to sleep at night no no because I almost want like I've come to terms with the fact a long time ago that both boys are just like oh movies are dad's thing and I guess like when your dad does something for a living like you might not necessarily be into it because it's your parents who are into it, right? So while it's movies and while the three of us adore movies, um, I'm, I'm totally fine with the fact that he's into other things. But um, he will, if I come into his room and I'm like, and which is what I did on Saturday night, I come into his room, it's like 10 o'clock, and I was like, hey, uh, movie night. And he was like, he gave me a look like, all right, what are we watching? You know, sort of thing. Um, but he knows it's going to be something c- kind of cool. So I said, we're watching a movie called Point Break. And he says... Um, all right, I'll, I'll give it an hour. Uh, How did you decide on Point Break? Oh, I decided. I picked four. How did yeah. you decide on it, though? Because um, I know it's one of the ones that I want him to see eventually. Uh, I like to pick things like, so things that he's watched in the past would be like, I showed him Die Hard, showed him Lethal Weapon, I showed him Speed, and he really likes Speed. He likes those type of action films, right? right. Um, so I thought Point Break would be a natural evolution towards that. I didn't even realize how many Keanu Reeves movies I was showing him. And obviously he knows Keanu Reeves is John Wick. Like, that's the funniest bit about this, is that he plays Fortnite, and there's John Wick skin in it. And obviously John Wick is everywhere nowadays. Um, so when he sees Keanu Reeves, like, that's who he identifies him with. Um, so I said, he goes, well, what's it about? I said, well, there's an FBI agent who has to infiltrate a group of surfers um, who may be bank robbers who wear uh, masks of the ex-presidents. And he, he was like, ooh, OK. So we got into it on Saturday night and uh, we're watching it through. And I totally forgot that there's a group of surf Nazis uh, in Point Break and of which Anthony Kiedis from the Red Hot Chili Peppers is one of them, which cracked oh, yeah. me up when I saw him show up. I forgot and about that. They are very 
obviously being set up as uh, these are who you think the ex-presidents are, right? And right. then uh, they have a raid on their house and it goes south. You know, uh, people get shot and then you realize that these are not the ex-presidents. And who, oh God, who was the, there's a DEA agent who is like undercover with the surf Nazis um, and he's an as a known actor. He's like a big time character actor. I forget who it is. It's not like Chaz Palminteri, but it's someone like that. Um, so and then PJ turned to me and he goes, "Wait a second, is it Bodie?" And it was like <laughs> it was the coolest moment because you just forget someone who's never seen Point Break yeah. wouldn't even think. You know, like, oh my God! Wait a second, is it is it that really cool surfer god? <laughs> what, was, what was DJ's reaction to uh, Keanu shooting the gun in the air? Uh, he kind of understood. Like, he didn't ask me. I thought I was waiting for that to happen. Of like, why did he do that? But yeah. I think I think PJ got. I think he understood Frustration. It in the moment. Yeah, yeah. Uh, of just knowing that that's your guy. And then afterwards, he said to me, he goes, "Now, why is that?" After we watched the whole movie. He goes, why is that really considered one of the best action sequences of all time? But like what we were talking about in different moments, like when when they do the skydiving scenes. Yeah, I was like, PJ, this is practical. Like they're doing this. This is not CGI. Like they're actually diving with them and shooting. And then when when Johnny Utah jumps out of the plane with no parachute, he literally looks at me. He's like, how are they doing this? Like, how is he catching up to to Bodie and 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 landing on him? Like, it all looks it looks so amazing. You can't even tell yeah. the seams. It's aged well. Stuff. Yeah. It is aged very well. So, obviously, you know, a fun part of this is sharing uh, these old movies and getting a different perspective. But the point I made to you guys in the text message was, it's so fun to be reminded that it doesn't matter how old some of these movies are. They still just work, right? Like they, they're classics for that reason. And this story hooked this kid who was very much it, like thinking, like, all right, I'll give it an hour because Dad wants me to watch it with him. And then we were ten minutes away from the end. Like they were literally jumping out of the airplane towards the very end of the movie. And uh, I said, I turned over to him. I said, "You were only going to watch an hour of this." And he goes, "Why? How much time is left?" I'm like, 10 minutes. Like we're almost <laughs> done. We're almost done." I'm, and it just, I'm getting teary-eyed just thinking about like what that must feel like to be a father sitting next to a kid who hasn't seen a film that's like considered to be a classic, and then watching their reaction, and then. I know I, I kind of understand it more now of him looking over to you and saying like, "Is it Bodie?" That's pretty cool. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, Kevin, obviously you don't have kids yet, but have you thought about like what's the movie you're most excited to watch with your oh, kids? Oh yeah, Terminator Two, no question. Like, <laughs> how I, old will you? Uh, did, I'll, did do, your it, kid I'll need do it. I'll do it when I saw it. Eight. Eight. Yeah, that's fair. That one eight, but like I mean, Sandlot. Um, yeah, I mean, there's so many. Dunkirk. That's going to be a fun one. <laughs> Jake, what, what's your number Dunkirk, one? Dunkirk. Dunkirk is going to be your kid's first word. Yeah. <laughs> I would be so honored. By the yeah, way, Jake, I, do you have one? Yeah, what's, what's, what's your, one you uh, sing uh, Probably Star Wars. Star Wars or Jurassic uh, Park. Star Wars huge. just because of my deep love for it. Jurassic Park because that's probably the first movie I remember having kind of a real impact on me. Yeah. Uh, and I feel like even, even though it is scary, I feel like you can watch Jurassic Park fairly young. Yeah, you know, um, Sean, I was curious uh, when you were showing PJ in the movie, did you happen to ask PJ his uh, his favorite song featuring a Jonas Brother? Uh, so, 
<laughs> Keanu Reeves' favorite song featuring a Jonas brother. No, I didn't. I did you not didn't hear about this. It. No, oh. I didn't. I didn't. Oh. What is it? Point, point Break by the Ocean. Yeah. Because <laughs> DNCE had Jonas in it. Yeah, there we go. There we go. Thank you. Oh, Kevin. Cake <laughs> by the Ocean. No, uh, I'll tell you what. The, the, the possibility also exists, though, when you show them a movie that you think they're going to love that they don't. Or that they just don't kind of understand. Have why you had that experience? Oh, yeah. They don't get Back to the Future. What? It's, yeah. I mean, they think it's okay. Does that kill you inside? I mean, a little bit. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Not neither of them. <laughs> neither of them get Back to the Future. Uh, not really. No. And oh. we even we did it that that last. Um, we, the symphony played it live. The symphony. Oh played my god! Live. The, the Sylvester <laughs> like, score over the. I don't know. That Sylvester score is the best score of all time. And they're like, "Yeah, this is fun. Like, this is okay." And then, but like after we watch it, I'm like, "Do you want to watch? There's like two more. Do you want to watch both of them?" And they're like, "No, nah, we're okay." Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, the I first mean, one is def- on a cliffhanger. Yeah, I know. Yeah. That's got to be such a cool experience, man. I, I, that that would actually be a really fun video blog on Cinema Blend. Like you watching movies with your kid. That'd it be pretty would, cool. If my kids wanted any part of that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which they don't. All right. This week in movies, um, we have not seen Annabelle uh, comes home. Although from everything that I'm legitimately hearing from people who have seen it, it's really good. And it's yeah, Lauren saw it. I, I loved uh, Annabelle Creation. Yes. And uh, this now is, the first Annabelle sucked. Was it Annabelle Creation? I was the one with the da- orphans. Didn't it's David, David Sandberg. D- yeah. David Sandberg. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it was fantastic. That one was really good. And the, the premise behind this one sounds really intriguing. That room in the Warrens' home that has all of their artifacts in it is essentially the location of this. And it's like all the weird stuff inside that home coming to life and threatening the people. It's almost like a a Justice League of uh, of the Conjuring universe. So I will go out of my way to check it out. The other big movie opening this week is um, yesterday, which a bunch of us caught up with at different times. Jake, you talked about it uh, in depth after going to Liverpool uh, to interview the cast and the people involved in it. Um, Kevin, you and I have caught... Kevin, you saw it since then, have you? I see it tomorrow night, 7 o'clock. Oh, you do? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, yeah. All right, well, we won't get into any kind of spoilers, but I want to sort of weigh in additionally to what Jake has said, is that it's really great. Like, this is a strong year for these films that are based on the music of classic rock folk, whether it be Rocket Man, which I'm really disappointed didn't do better. Like, yeah. we even went to go see Toy Story 4 last night, and I passed the poster for Rocket Man and said to Michelle, I was like, ah, Danny, Dan, you still need to go see that. Like, it's really good. It and seems to be that movie for a lot of people. I, love, we're, I, I keep talking to people like, oh, have you seen Rocket Man yet? And everyone goes like, ah, you know, I need to go see. Like, I, I know I know it's good, and it's it's just... It doesn't seem to have that must-see factor like apparently Bohemian Rhapsody did. Why do you think it is? Do you think it's just that Taron is not drawing people in the way that Rami as Freddie Mercury did? Because Taron's uh, great in it. I mean, and it can't be the subject matter because I'd argue Elton John has more notable hits than Queen does. Yeah, I think so too. So I don't know what it is. I don't know. Um, uh, and then uh, the other one being Blinded by the Light, which is a Springsteen movie that each of you two have seen and mm-hmm. raved about. So... It's incredible. Yeah. Um, yesterday, he, I'll say this about it. Um, I thought the premise was going to be difficult to work around because it's got that supernatural aspect that you have to sort of explain. Um, it's a guy who bangs his head while riding his bike because there's a freakish global blackout. <laughs> um, 
that Danny Boyle, I think to his credit, doesn't try too hard to over explain. <laughs> he just says it just happened. This happened. Right. Exactly. And as a result, uh, this guy played by Hamish Patel uh, ends up becoming one of the only people who remembers that the Beatles existed. And uh, I don't know if we talked about this on the show or not, but um, as an exercise in the movie, I tried to legitimately because there's a really fun part in the movie where he has to like jot down every Beatles song he can think of. And he's doing it on post-it notes really fast. And I tried to think, like, I don't know any band that I could legitimately do that for, especially one that has a catalog as as deep and wide right. as the Beatles. Um, because that, that's the thing. Like, you could, even if that were you, if you're the only person that could remember the Beatles, it's one thing to say, oh, I remember Let It Be. But then I would go, okay, we'll sit down and write every word to Let It Be and then give me the music on a piano. And you probably couldn't do it. And that it actually goes into that in the movie, which surprised me because I was like, oh, I didn't even think about that. Like, even if I were the only person that remembered The Matrix, could I sit down and, and rewrite The Matrix? I don't think I, I don't think I could. Well, like tomorrow, if we all woke up and Ron Howard didn't exist, we could all recite the no- solo name scene. No question. That would be well, very easy. That would be a very easy thing to recreate. We could reshoot yes. that. And I would write it down on a piece of paper and burn it. <laughs> Hey Gabe, is uh, is Hero Blend hiring? Because I'm looking to. Because uh, the other thing I was looking about yesterday ship. is that uh, Lily James is absolutely delightful in that movie. Um, I don't think that I've seen her used as properly uh, in a film before as she is in this one. Is she is she in Baby Driver? Is that Lily yeah, James? Amazing yeah. in Baby Driver, and she yeah. was great in Cinderella. She's really good. In, Cinderella in Baby was Driver. solid. I love her in Yesterday. She's so good in this movie. Um, she's got to play the supportive girl who's the manager for the guy who's struggling in the in the music industry. And, you know, clearly it's a love interest, uh, love interest type thing if the movie decides to go down that route. But she plays it so well. And I loved, 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 loved their chemistry in it. I loved this movie. And I love Danny Boyle. And that's a big part of the reason why. Later on in the episode, we will be playing hashtag Danny Boyle Blend. I hope people uh, chimed in on social media. I saw a lot of answers going across. Um, all three of us shared the hashtag right before we started recording the show. So hopefully we'll get a lot of good reactions to it. So yesterday opens up over the it'll be in most theaters, I think, on Friday. Is that right? Is mm-hmm. it going wide on so. Friday? Cool. Okay, do we have three different answers for the blend game? That's oh. a no. So so no. Interesting. Two different answers. All right. Two different. Wow. Oh, all right, never mind. Is mine different? <laughs> You're not helping at all. All right, um, we caught up with Toy Story Four. Jake wants to leave um, because I, he hasn't I, seen uh, it. Didn't get a chance to see it, and I want you guys to be able to talk about it. So uh, I'm gonna put down. So Kevin, whatever puns you have, for the love of Christ, get them out now. Just gotta okay. take my headphones out, and I'm gonna step away. <laughs> just, just like wave at me. Whenever okay. I can come back. <laughs> Go ahead. Kevin, um, well, let me start right here. Where would you rank it among the four? The weakest of the four. Okay. Um, for what reason? Well, I mean, like, here's the thing. So I think Toy Story 3 was, my, okay, to give some perspective, my favorite Pixar movie ever is WALL-E, no question. Um, and then I would probably go inside out and up. Uh, and Toy Story Two actually might be the best one, uh, according like we were talking about that one time about sequels, and uh, I think that Toy it's Story on my cutting board. Yeah, <laughs> it's an amazing movie. Toy Story three was was a perfect ending to the right. story, in my opinion. I, I I thought the handoff from of the toys from Andy to another kid was what was Bonnie, right? Uh, to yeah, me, Bonnie. that that was a perfect 
ending and I didn't think that Toy Story 4 needed to be done. Now, I understand the business of Hollywood. I get that, you know, but I do find it interesting that a movie that opened up to one hundred and ten million dollars, the third one uh, in 2010, nine years ago, this one did one hundred eighteen million nine years later with higher ticket prices. Um, I find that interesting. I, I, I don't I'm, I'm not saying one hundred eighteen million dollars is a lot of money, but I do think that there's something to be said about you know, did people really want this? I think I think there were built-in fans, clearly. They made a lot of money. Uh, I didn't think this, I think the story was stretching a little bit in the sense of, I, I and I, I guess we, we can't get into spoilers, can we, or no? We can, it's open, sure. Well, I guess the idea of Woody's character, uh, I saw someone make this comparison about like how Woody was kind of like Captain America in the sense that he becomes selfish, right? Like he becomes living for himself. Yeah, he, he's right. actually going to do something for himself for once rather than doing it for yeah. the kid he's uh, with. And, and Bo was, Peep is his Peggy Carter. Right. <laughs> Essentially. Exactly. Yeah. And, I, and I, I, I can't take credit for that comparison. I saw someone compare that and I thought that was a very interesting comparison. Um, but I, I think that the film works. I mean, I, I would even say I borderline loved it. It was fun. Key and Peele were great. Uh, I thought that Keanu Reeves was amazing. But when you're talking about Pixar, Pixar has set a, such a high bar for their product that they generally don't deliver bad movies. And this movie wasn't bad. It was actually really good. I just don't think it's memorable. I don't think uh, looking back on it that I think of a scene that I'm going to think about as a classic or anything in that film being memorable to me. I think Key and Peele were great. I thought that Keanu Reeves did a great job. He was really funny in the movie. Obviously, Tom Hanks is great in it. Tim Allen's barely in it. Um, You know, it's... It's good. It's very good. I mean, there's nothing wrong. There's nothing really wrong with the movie. It's just really kind of just very good. I guess that makes sense. It's hard to review a film like this because it's not a bad movie. It's just not a really necessary film. No, but I I agree 100 percent with you in the sense that it's impossible not to compare to the other three. And truthfully, if I'm ranking the other three on five star scales, I think all three previous Toy Story films are five star films. 100 percent. If I'm putting together a top 10 of Pixar, there's three slots for all three Toy Story movies. Yeah, I would do. So, I would agree with that. So if you have three fives and then you deliver a four. Right. I give it a four. No, yeah. Right. And there's there's just no way for that to not feel like a disappointment. Yeah. But it doesn't mean that it's not good. It's still right. good. But unfortunately, you're a Toy Story movie. So you're going to get compared to the. That's just that's fair. You're going to get compared yeah. to the other ones. I didn't understand the high praise that initially came out about it. I, I mean, it was very, very good. But I just don't. It's 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 pretty perfectly summed it up. Like the other three are a five out of five, no question. And then this one's a four, and it's it's good. It's very yeah. good, actually. Well, it's you hit on something great. that really bothered me the most is that um, outside of Woody and then now Bo, because she's a new character, the way she's brought back into it, no other character in this movie has anything to do. No, they like don't do. Tim anything. Allen had nothing to do. Buzz Lightyear had nothing to do. No, they sit on the RV for the most part. Yeah. <laughs> And every once yeah. in a while, one of them jumps out the window to, to go on a, a small mission, you right. know, but all they keep doing is losing Forky. Yeah. I almost wish that the people at Pixar had come up with the idea of Forky and made a Forky movie that had nothing to do with the Toy Story films. That's like, interesting. Here's an arts and crafts project that a kid makes and it comes to life, but doesn't know why. Yeah. Because no, I a great like concept. Forky. Yeah. yeah. 
And then just make it original. Don't shoehorn it into the Toy Story franchise. That's almost what it sounds like they did. It sounds like they came up with a storyline. They were like, this might be a good Toy Story continuation. I, I, I just, when they initially announced this, I was just, why? like, why? And I, I get it from a business perspective. I totally understand that. Yeah. It was the same thing, is the same way I felt about the ending of the latest Halloween movie. And I know it sounds, it's a strange comparison to make because one's a horror film, one's a kid's movie. But I would, see, Toy Story 3 calling it a kid's movie, I think it's a bit of a, um... I don't think it's the appropriate word for it. It's a great film. I mean, it just has a kid audience. Um, but I do think that with Halloween, remember at the end of Halloween, I was like, why? You're you're leaving it open because of a business decision, not yep. a story decision. You've bookended two films called them both Halloween. You deleted all the films in between them. And you have an opportunity to kill off Michael Myers and do it in a very epic way with three generations killing him at the same time. Yet you still keep it open which I understand is the is the charm of horror films, mm-hmm. but that to me screams business, not storytelling. And I think that Toy Story Four, while it is a great, it's a solid story with great performances, it just didn't seem necessary. It seemed business and not story, in my well, opinion. And that's going to go back to the joke I made at the beginning of the podcast about this franchise fatigue. Um, yeah. And I, I don't want to. I love franchises. Me too. And I love sequels, and I really do. But like. This summer in particular, Men in Black, another yeah. John Wick, Avengers Endgame, Annabelle creation, Annabelle Comes Home, another Toy Story movie. It just... It, Lion King remake, uh, Aladdin Spider-Man remake. Spider-Man Far From Home. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, it's, I mean... It's amazing. It, this I mean, is why I, I am clamoring for Quentin, because it's something yeah. original. <laughs> and even even Midsommar, which I, would, oh, I think I'm pronouncing that right, Ari Aster's movie, um, yeah. uh, we're seeing, I'm seeing that tonight. And I can't wait because I don't know anything about it. Right. And uh, I didn't necessarily, I wouldn't say I loved Hereditary. I thought it was ambitious and I admired it. And I thought it was very well done. Um, but but on besides that, my point being is that, yeah, I'm I'm really, really itching for original films. And I, I think yesterday I'm excited about too because it's just it's something I haven't seen before. Right. And I mean, that doesn't mean I didn't love Avengers Endgame or I didn't love Spider-Man Far From Home. I did. Uh, but I, I am curious and I saw someone say this, or where someone was mentioning this the other day. Do you think that Hobbs and Shaw is going to be a gigantic summer film? I think it's going to be like a huge surprise. It, I think it's going to be huge. It feels like it has that potential. Huge. I think yeah. it's going to be massive. I think so too. Um, especially if it delivers scale. at the level that the trailers are showing it. Um, oh, before we pull Jake back in, I know Gabe, you want to move on really fast. I do want to say, Kevin, I didn't like the ending of Toy Story Four. I don't like Woody leaving the toys. All right, so Lauren and I had a big discussion about that on the way home from the movie. I thought it was earned. Um, yeah. And I, 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 I actually found uh, uh, Woody's arc there to make sense. It's, okay. it, it's, it's the same reason why I believed why Cap went back and lived his life and went back to Peggy. I think that, I think that Woody's job, Woody's life, was revolved around Andy. Yeah. And once Andy was out of the picture he was trying to clamor on to that emotional attachment that Andy was giving him as a toy. And it wasn't there with Bonnie. And I think that he was not happy. I mean, he was always in that closet. He was always upset. He wasn't being chosen. He was forcing himself to go to school with her and putting himself in situations that weren't. So my thought process on the ending is that he made a decision finally for himself and then maybe eventually he will reunite with another human being. Um, okay. The ending didn't bother me. I actually like the ending a lot. But why didn't you like it? I just, well, selfishly, I just don't like the idea that he's not with the toys anymore. I don't like the toy group 
altogether yeah. if he's not part of it. That, and maybe that's just emotionally. Yeah. I would rather see. But I don't. You're, the way you describe that ending makes a hundred percent sense. You know, yeah. his his purpose was Andy. It yeah. wasn't working with Bonnie. Um, it, it almost goes full circle because in the beginning he had a chance to get in the box with Bo. He doesn't. Yeah. You know, and then now he gets a chance to go with her again, and he chooses. He finally chooses for him. You know, that's the way he's going to go. I, but I just thought it was weird. I thought it was weird. Last thing I'll say, I was just happy that. I think it was Key or Peel, one of those characters finally points out somewhere at some point in the film that the ventriloquist dolls are freaky because like like there's a whole like they're like scary the entire movie. Yeah. And no yeah. one says anything about it. And then what doesn't one of them turn around and go, well, that's kind of terrifying or something yeah. like that. <laughs> yeah, I thought yeah. Key, now, Key and Peel, I would watch that spinoff in two seconds. Those guys were very funny. Awesome. And yeah. I, I was I was sitting there watching it. I don't know if you saw Jordan Peele's tweet when the trailer came out. He's like, this is the, the best movie of the year with a bunny in it or something like that. It was like a joke about us but if you think about it there's a bunny there's a bunny he plays a bunny in toy story 4 at a carnival i mean yeah. it's like the weirdest coincidence ever it's so weird yeah so anyways all right jake come on come yeah. on back in you're come good. on you're back good. in jake you're good anyways jesus jake, christ jake, you guys uh, review all four movies no no jake before but uh, we're moved on from toy story 4 now uh all right real quick uh now that we're all on here Oh, my, 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 why didn't you get this out before no, no, I came I, back? I, no, I, I want you to. I want you to weigh in. So, Sean, I want you to rank the four Toy Stories, and then I want to hear Jake's ranking prior to uh, him seeing Toy Story four. Two, three, one, four. I would go the exact same ranking. I'd go. I've only seen the first three, so I'd go one, three, two. I think two is underrated. I love two. So two is Sean, apparently. Two is so Ooh, good. I love man. two. He has it engraved <laughs> on a cutting board. I do. Yes. It stands you know, out. Two blew my mind when I rewatched it before three, and I forgot how good two was. I really did. Two is excellent. Jake, there's just one thing you need to know about four going into it. And it's not a spoiler, but I just think it's important knowledge that toys can have cancer. Uh, this is revealed in the movie. Um, it's it's important, but apparently toys can get cancer. So, wait, is this, oh, wait, are you... Joking? I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Oh, yes, I'm, 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 oh my god! I did, there was one point well, in the movie though, where and this again, not a spoiler at all, but Woody is on the back of a moving car, and he has to get off of it for a reason that I won't tell you, right? And he seems concerned, and then he hits a bump and goes falling in the air and lands on the ground and tumbles really hard, right? And the movie wants you to imply that Woody is hurt by this landing, but I saw it and I was like, can Woody feel? pain like yeah is Woody, is Woody able to feel something physically like I don't understand that yeah it, it's an interesting I question that. I, I, I would okay. actually like I to break down I often wonder that about Gabe if he has the ability to feel anything Gabe, can having you feel? just yeah. left us this is not a rap and moment ha- Gabe this yeah. is an interesting topic I just brought up yeah it's actually I mean not to Gabe not to go against you I'm not, I'm not doing a bit here <laughs> that is a, that is actually a fascinating question like what can they He's feel scared? He's no, scared because the truck yeah. is moving really fast. Yeah. When you would think a toy that has no physical feeling would just oh. jump onto the bumper and then fall off and then be like, I'm up. But why do you believe that they would have consciousness, but not physical feeling? I don't, that's why do you, the why point, do you give though. them one and not the other? All right, let me ask you this. There's a scene in Toy Story 4, which I won't spoil. I'll just give you a... If you guys a, a, keep doing this like no, scene no. in Toy Story 4, There's but no, no spoiler. spoiler. <laughs> You're going to end up telling me There's everything. There's no spoiler. But the, what I'm, a, a character of a toy says something and a human can hear it. So it made me wonder throughout the Toy Story films throughout uh, the but years... But I feel like from the first one... The, could the they hear the toys? implied. 
Yeah, well, the first one they always imply. That's why they had to be still and quiet. No, I got that, but I didn't. Well, no, uh, uh, Woody talks to um, Sid in the first one. Yeah, he does. So be nice. What? That's a baby, though. No, Woody no, talks Sid to Sid. Sid is the bully. Oh, you're right. Sid's the bully next door. But, but, yeah. but, but, and then, but, and then Woody but, turns wait. his head around and goes, and but be nice. But don't we understand? Don't we take that moment kind of like a horror moment, like the kid a, a seeing something? Like, I, ne- I never thought that the kid actually heard it. Oh, I no, he okay. Flips out. You're right. Actually, you're right. I forgot about that now. Um, you're right. Gabe brings up a point in the notes. He said maybe Woody's not worried about pain, but he's worried about breaking. That's yeah, possible. That's, that, that's what I was thinking. Like, like that's the, an arm popping off or something. There was okay. almost a scene in this one. Remember that was when, like, when Buzz fell in the first one and his arm falls off? Yeah. By the way, I, uh, props to Pixar. By the way, the animation in the fourth one is insane. It's I've seen like, some screenshots in it. Some screenshots. There are, there's amazing. a shot in the beginning where like Woody's out in the rain. It blew my mind. Like some of the best CGI I've ever seen. It's but in one of the, the hair. One of the times when I was able to visit Pixar, when I was lucky enough to visit Pixar, um, on the wall of their cafeteria, they have an oil painting. And it's Buzz and um, Woody uh, at the very end of the movie with their arms over each other's shoulders. And they see Andy's car driving away in the distance. And I got choked up seeing that. Yeah. And I just wish that three was the end. The other other day I was rewatching three and there's that obviously that scene when they're going into the pit of fire. And oh, yeah. and I actually forgot. Or no, I, I knew they got out, obviously, but I forgot the timing of it, like when, yeah. how close they actually got to that fiery pit. And I was, I was sitting. I, I happened to walk in while Warren was rewatching it, and I was just glued to the TV. Do you remember the first time you saw that? Like we, we I thought they were gonna kill. Yeah, there was a moment. I was like, Are they? Is that? Is that how they're uh, gonna? Because remember, we went into three thinking that that was the end. Yeah, and I thought like. Is that how they're gonna? They're just gonna melt them? Yes. <laughs> like, is that is that how they're gonna end this thing? Especially after what they did in Up. Like, they're and, and Wally, yeah. they, they've gone dark places. I mean, that yeah. opening twenty minutes of Up is some mm-hmm. of the most depressing. With Michael Giacchino's music, it's 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 horrifying, but in a beautiful way. So I I didn't put it past them that they might. I don't know. I could you imagine if Toy Story actually did that? Like at the end of the movie, like kids are walking just, out of the movie, Woody's like burned, and like, 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 like could you imagine if they actually did that? Like that would be horrifying. And then it turns into like a commercial for Disney toys, and it's like, but you could have, you can bring them back to life if you go to your nearest Disney store and oh, buy Buzz and God, Woody. That's flame so, resistant toys. I would not put that past Disney. <laughs> Honestly, though, but they've gone they've gone dark inside yeah. out had some dark stuff in it. That That's the movie I always most connected to because of because of the because of the emotional aspect of it. But mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, Pixar that's is amazing because you said Wally and then inside out are your yeah. one and two. And yeah. those are my one and two. But I just flip them briefly. Inside out is my number one. And Wally's my two. inside out blew my mind. Like it's no crazy. pun intended. Like that was genuinely oh, a that I wasn't really a, t- nah. a pun, but it, but it was actually a great film that dove into things that I I mean the, just the concept of being in someone's head was like so brilliant. It was and just I, so well done. I can't say this is because Tom Hanks I think as Woody is their greatest casting, but Amy Poehler as Joy oh. is so perfect. Yeah. She's so perfect. Yeah, there's. I mean, it, it, it's amazing what they've been able to do. Toy Story one, Toy twenty four years. Toy Story one was the first Pixar film. Yeah. Was that the Would you first? say that um, probably Tom Hanks as Woody and Robin Williams as the genie are the two greatest casting voice casting of all time? Yeah, hmm. I'd, I'd, I'd also put up there Jeremy Irons, 
the oh, Scar yeah. and James Earl Jones. Earl Jones is Mufasa. Mufasa. Yeah, those are up there. Those are up there. I'd have to really think about that, but that's a great question. We should that's do a great like blend voice cast or yeah. What, what, how would you? How would we frame that as a blend? Like voice blend? Voice blend? Yeah. Okay. Now, can that mean? Does it have to be hand drawn animation CG? Can it be? No, I think uh, it could be a live action film with a, with a character that speaks. Like, um, I don't know. I'm trying to think of uh, like Scarlett Johansson for her. Yeah, there's a lot of great voice characters that were never seen. So I guess you would just limit it to the char- the actor not being wow. on screen and just hearing their voice. It'd be really tough to be Tom Hanks as Woody. That, yeah. I mean, that's... Oh, I, I, I probably wouldn't go Tom Hanks Woody on my personal favorite. I, mean, I love Tom Hanks as Woody, but I'm trying to think... There's so many great voice... I don't know. I have to think about that for a second. It'll be a blend for another day. Um, I'm going to use Michael Giacchino that Kevin mentioned earlier uh, for his score with Up as our transition because he has an amazing score for the upcoming Spider-Man Far From Home. Um, And it's really funny. He tweeted it uh, yesterday and he was like, I guess this is out here now, so I'll share it. Um, And then it was a YouTube clip of his Far From Home suite. uh, And then if you go to YouTube, they've already taken it down. So Michael Giacchino can't even uh, share his own score from the movie that he worked on without YouTube flagging it for copyright. But it just means that it should be available relatively soon. And when it's available, you should get it because I think Giacchino now has created one of the most memorable superhero scores um, of my lifetime. And and that's not tied to the fact that I love Spider-Man, although I do love Spider-Man, but the way that it blends the, ah, no pun intended, um, the classical 1960s uh, animation theme with the horns and swells of what we've heard in the MCU up to this date, uh, it's a fantastic, fantastic score. And I don't think we talked score with John Watts, but we talked about a lot of other things in our live interview with John Watts, the director of Spider-Man Far From Home, when the three of us were together in London. Uh, We have been telling you guys we're going to break it up into two different parts. The first one is the non-spoiler conversation um, about Spider-Man Far From Home and where it fits into the MCU and some of the decisions that John made. We will be saving our spoiler conversation with him until... Uh, July 7th, I want to say it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, And so we'll have a new episode recorded in time for that. That is, well, listen, the next part that you're about to listen to is very good. Yeah. The spoiler conversation is face melting. Like we got into, and again, we did this with the Russos. We have no faces. John said that we were the first people that he spoke about spoilers with. And I hope this is on the audio. I think it's part of it. He actually says to us, he's like, my heart is racing because I'm still so nervous to discuss any of this with anybody for fear that, you know, I'm going to give away something I shouldn't give away. Even though we said to him, look, you can talk openly and freely and we're going to reveal all this stuff after the movie is out. So you you got to think about the trust that he has to have in us to do that. Like, like we're like, we're, we had just seen the film the night before he has not spoken to anybody about this outside of Marvel executives and cast members. Yeah. Um, this, this is a guy who has phase four things in his mind already. Um, <laughs> Which and, Jake found out. Yeah. And we, and we um, are just able to kind of lo- So what I want to challenge people to do is listen to the way John speaks to us in this first part. Um, and it's the same thing with the Rooster Brothers. There's, there's, a, there's a guarded sense of, of walking on eggshells, not stepping on certain things. And then when we give you the spoiler discussion, listen back to this one and then that one and listen to the type of person he becomes in the spoiler interview. It's very – same thing happened with Ty Sheridan. It's fascinating. Like we, yeah. we get to see it happen before our eyes in person, but, but like – 
audio wise, it's actually interesting to listen to it as well. Like, like there's a definite jump in, um, in the, in the, uh, I guess what you would say, like the, the way the person speaks to us, the smooth, um, unguard, non-guarded elements, the way he talks smooth to us. Smooth operator. So yeah. this is the uh, three Real Blend guys in London speaking with John Watts in the non-spoilery part of the conversation for Spider-Man Far From Home. Thank you for taking the time. Yeah, it's really my pleasure. Thank, Thank you. you. Really, really appreciate it. Jake, start us. Uh, do, I need, do, do we need yeah, to do an intro? intro? Dude, kick us in. Uh, we are all here in London together, not just uh, doing the podcast, but we actually have a very special guest, the director of Spider-Man Far From Home, it's John Watts. John, how Hi. are you, sir? Good, how's it going, Thanks for joining man? us, man. This is very us. cool. Yeah, and we're actually you. all in the same room. Sometimes we do these via Skype, so it's, not, it's nice to actually be in the room with you. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to start out with something you and I were just talking about, which is when you make a movie like this, there are certain things you need to know about Marvel movies that have yet to be released. Case in point, you needed to know what happened in Infinity War. You needed to know that Iron Man was dead because of Endgame. I'm curious, can you tell me about how that conversation takes place? They sit you down and they go, here are the things you need to know. Uh, yeah, basically, Kevin pitched me everything that was they were planning on doing in Infinity War and Endgame. Uh, and then swore me to secrecy. So I carried all of that. Uh, with me for such a long time, wow. it was. I know it's. You, you just. Uh, you're just operating on like a need to know basis with everyone, um, and just so afraid that somehow you're going to screw up and uh, and 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 say something wrong that's going to spoil everything. It's very nerve wracking. When you watch Infinity War, do you lean over to friends and be like, I knew that. <laughs> I knew that was going to happen. That's how the whole movie felt. Yeah. There was one moment in Endgame that I didn't know was going to happen. Um, and that was, uh, I didn't realize that the very last thing that Tony was going to look at before he decided to crack the time travel problem was that photo of him and Peter. Oh, nice. Oh. So, it was upside down, wasn't yeah, it? It's, it's like behind a picture of his dad. And you think he's looking at the picture of his dad, and then he reaches behind that and takes out the picture of him and Peter with uh, the Stark Scholarship certificate. And that's upside down. And it's up, yeah, and yeah. he's holding it upside down. And um, so that really hit me. So I had one I had one genuine uh, surprise yeah, during yeah, Endgame. That's kind of cool. So yeah. I, got a, I got a little bit. All right. Going off of Jake's question now that uh, I heard your answer, which is so fascinating to me, when you do learn that Iron Man Tony Stark dies, like, like what emotionally do you go through? I, I know you're hearing it in a very formal setting where someone's telling it to you yeah. versus like what emo like do you... Do you emotionally react to it? Like, do you go, oh, my God? Yeah. I mean, the fact that they they made that choice, but also it, it's 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 just such good drama that I really appreciated that they were going to make that choice. The combination of that and how Cap is resolved and the fact that their stories are almost like these weird mirrors of each other where Tony learns selflessness and Cap learns a little bit Selfish. of selfishness is was just such a brilliant resolution. So earlier in our Junket interview, we were talking about um, that hug sequence in Homecoming. So, yeah. And I remember I was mentioning to you that uh, Tom Holland had just said that was an improvised moment. So I was wondering if you can just take us back to that day on Homecoming when you were shooting that scene. Um, when that improvised moment happened, is that the shot we see in the film, did you have him reset it? Did you know it was great? And then obviously that through line to Endgame and having him hug him finally um, <laughs> yeah. became out of an improvised moment. So can you talk about your shooting of Homecoming and kind of how that became a through line? Yeah, it's crazy when something you do now becomes part of the actual storyline of this giant universe. And that day was the first 
day we were shooting with Downey, so I was nervous. And uh, it was particularly weird because a lot of that sequence, the stuff we started with, is um, all the uh, Peter's cell phone footage of him like secretly filming Tony and Into all of Civil that. War. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so it it um it wasn't a traditional shoot in any sense like basically I gave the camera over to Tom we had these little mini um, high def cameras that were mimicking the phone footage and I just closed the door of the car we were on a green screen stage and then just let him go. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, this is pretty easy. Yeah. Just hand the camera over, close really it. Easy. Yeah. 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 And then I'm like, just like, I think I was in the front seat with Favreau, just sort of spying on them. <laughs> but but the improv moment though, like when that line hit, when when he goes in for the hug and Tony goes for the door, did that happen organically? Did you have him reset it? Oh, uh, that I mean, that's the first take. That's that's when it, that wow. is the first. Yeah, take. that's just that, that was just all happened naturally. And that still like, plays oh, so well. Yeah, it's, oh it, it's great. That's it's what's amazing about having actors that are that good. You know, it's, it makes my job easy. So you come back for the sequel. You bring back uh, most of your homecoming cast. So yeah. you're familiar with how they work. Um, even when you bring some new characters over, they're proven MCU characters, Sam Jackson and yeah. Colby Smulders. Um, but Jake is a new addition, right? So um, I'm really curious about the casting process for Marvel, because I would assume a lot of people now at this point want to come and be in Marvel movies. Um, how much flexibility do you have to say, I really want Jake Gyllenhaal for this role? Or do you know you have Mysterio and then they sort of figure out a short list? How does that process work? Well, you want to make sure you really know what you want the character to be first. So you start talking about the character and, you know, names, um, you discuss names, but only when you really sort of crack what you know the character is going to actually be in the film. At least for me, only then do I get really serious about who it would be. And once we figured out who Mysterio was going to be and what he had to do in this film, it was just obviously Jake Gyllenhaal. Okay. And he responded to it pretty quickly? Yeah. We had this amazing and strange dinner um, where uh, we met up to just sort of talk about it so I could pitch him the role and, and give him some context of the movie. And we were at this restaurant in L.A. And um, as we were talking, uh, the power went out. Um, it was a really windy day or night in L.A. Which Mysterio was doing illusion. Yeah, I mean, it was so perfect. Like, like uh, palm fronds were just blowing down the street. Uh, the lights went out um, so we were sitting there now the waiters came around and brought candles so we're sitting by like candlelight as I'm like telling <laughs> the story of what Mysterio's gonna be doing in this film and the whole thing just felt like so weird and perfect that we were like we have to do this yeah <laughs> that's awesome when you have a dinner like that and you're sort of explaining what the plot of this very anticipated movie is gonna be I mean People in the restaurant, they see Jake Gyllenhaal, they're going to want to listen to what they're talking. You have to sort of like whisper, okay, here's... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it made the whole thing so much more dramatic and spooky, too. (laughs) By candlelight. By candlelight, whispering in, you know, as the wind is blowing and like the shutters were slamming open and closed, like it couldn't have been more perfect. You guys almost got engaged. (laughs) I thought I was dead. I was like, oh, this is some weird purgatory thing. Why is Jake Gyllenhaal in my purgatory? (laughs) One more non-spoiler question before we switch. Um, One thing I find fascinating is obviously you look at the both trailers for Spider-Man uh, for Far From Home you have the first trailer which doesn't give any indication of what happens in Endgame and then the next trailer obviously Tom comes on screen and gives his spoiler warning that first trailer how hard is it to find scenes that don't give away any of the tone of Endgame like, like it, do you just go through the edit and go 
that one's okay. That one's a little like. Do you think there's anything in the first trailer that kind of indicates to people what what the story is here? At no, all? I mean, and you have to be so careful. Um, uh, you keep some of that in mind too when you're shooting the movie, like huh. when it's going to roll out and, and what would be good for a trailer and things like that. You know, there are scenes in the trailer that aren't in the finished film, which really helps um, when you're trying to keep certain things secret. But um, yeah, it was tricky, and it, it's always really fun to watch the comments where people were still trying to wrap their head around the timeline. They were like, what, is this before yeah. Infinity War? Yeah, yeah, What's yeah, yeah. going on? And I'm just like, wait, everyone, just wait. Just wait, everyone. You know how many people said that they that the bus that they were on when he leaves in Infinity War? Yeah, I, lo- I loved that theory. Like, that it's airport. the same. Yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a, you don't you want to jump in and be like, oh, no. <laughs> well, that's what that's what's great is it's like just wait, everyone. Yeah, you yeah. know, we're not good about waiting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I just uh, I thought of one more question. Well, Sorry. It, it drives people to come up with amazing fan theories. Yeah, yeah. Which is always really inspirational. You ever read it and go, damn, that'd be good. <laughs> All the time. All the time. I, I mean, I feel like I'm making Spider-Man fan fiction. Uh, it just happens to come out in movie theaters. <laughs> so I love reading what people come up with. Like, there's nothing more exciting than to see other people's creative gears turning like that. Was there ever, um, this is still part of a non-spoiler, I just thought about this, um, was there ever a cameo written for Stan in this movie? Um, and what, what, like, obviously we know he's not in the film, but, uh, and that's not a spoiler because yeah. Russo's confirmed that the last one was yeah. Endgame, but was there one? Did you have an idea of one? Um, no. I mean, I, I think everyone sort of knew that he was sick and he had just filmed um, the cameo for Endgame. Yeah. And I think they shot that earlier, too. So I didn't want to... Um, it felt right for the last thing to be an endgame. Yeah. So we didn't... Never really talked about it, honestly. Okay. Okay, cool. Sad. All right, let's stop there. Um, that helped. Yeah. <laughs> Again, we want to thank John Watts for speaking to us at the Spider-Man Far From Home junket. This was really cool in that... Um, the guys got him for TV spots. Uh, we were given a print slot for Cinema Blend, but we told them very clearly it was going to be for the Real Blend podcast. They initially gave us 15 minutes, and then when we mentioned we wanted to do spoiler talk with them, they bumped it up to 25 minutes, which was really great of Sony. I want to thank them so much for giving Seriously, us Seriously, thank you, thank you, thank you, Sony. All that extra time, yeah. And again, we're trying to position this podcast as um, a forum for directors. We love it. Yeah. yeah, especially the junkets where... You know, it's been made clear to us uh, by both industry people and directors themselves. They don't appreciate the TV slot as much. They would much rather have the time to get in depth and go deep into their movies in longer form formats. And I just don't think that there have been a lot of outlets that offer that uh, to directors. And we want this podcast to eventually become a place where directors are able to come and sit and get comfortable and yeah. really get into in-depth and if, stuff. And if you're just now finding us, um, please go back. We have um, some massive names in this show. Alfonso Cuaron was on for Roma. We had Robert Rodriguez on for Alita. We had uh, Chad Stilhesky on for John Wick Chapter 3. We had Danny Elfman on for Dumbo, composer, obviously. Um, and, Joe you and know, Anthony Russo. <laughs> Joe, Yeah, Joe and Anthony Russo uh, on the smaller side of things. We had those guys on for that little movie they did called Avengers Endgame. Uh, no, but like it, it, it's been, it's been, it's 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 a it's a breath of fresh air to be able to go long form with these guys. You mentioned Michael Giacchino. I used to have him on my show a lot when I, I had a radio show back in the day, um, and he would call in. And I remember one night he called in about, I think it was he called in for Star Trek, 
if I remember uh, the timing correctly, but I think he was great on, score. But I, I think, love that score. But I think he was on the land of the lost stage scoring while he was in the phone with me. I like that score and, less. And, and, and every, I know. <laughs> and, and so I, I ran into him at the Avengers Endgame premiere, and he remembered that entire thing. Like uh, that. That's Kevin. Do you remember getting him on the red carpet for Mission, Mission Impossible, Impossible and he was surprised that yeah. we wanted to talk to him. Like we, yeah, so like, was JJ. Kevin and I, yeah. So we like easily got, it was the last time I think we'll ever get easily get a JJ Abrams interview. But yeah, Kevin and I were, were next to each other. I thought, I thought it was Mission Impossible 4. It was 4, Ghost Protocol, you're right. Yeah, and uh, yeah, we both we got Michael and JJ and it was super, not only was it very easy to get them, but they, they both seemed surprised that someone wanted to talk to them. Yeah, like because well, you know, we're all there trying to get Tom Cruise, right? Like, and we're all going to get one question, and like these gigantic names are walking by that no one cares about, like J.J. Abrams, Mission Impossible Three director, and like Michael Giacchino, uh, and then one one of the guys from Lost who I won't name wouldn't stop for Jake. I'll tell you who it was. It was Josh Holloway, and he wouldn't <laughs> stop for me. And you know what? Look how amazing his career is doing. <laughs> Hope, hope you enjoyed that 30 seconds out of your time you got back, Josh Holloway. Uh, <laughs> meanwhile, Tom Cruise is shaking yeah, hands Tom and taking Cruise photos with every single person. Every person, yeah. And yet, he, this guy who yeah. was in the movie I'm for so, five yeah. minutes. I'm so sorry that your character was so complex and so important to the Mission Impossible legacy that you just didn't have time to talk about it in an interview. But, but good for you. Hope you enjoy season four of Colony. Tell me how that's working out for you. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> All right, so next week we will have... That promised spoiler conversation with John Watts. So do us a favor. Go out of your way. See Spider-Man Far From Home. There are, I'm not exaggerating, guys, a lot of holy crap moments in oh, Far yeah. From Home. Yeah. And you're going to want to experience them before you read about them. And then you're going to want to come back here to Real Blend and listen to us grill John Watts about all of them, including one of the biggest ones. that We had to start with <laughs> one of the biggest ones. Because it's a, it, as the kids say, it's a humdinger. It is a humdinger. Thank you, Jake. Are, are these kids it. from Wait, like 1956? Kids say that? Yeah, the little rascals. The little rascals <laughs> say that all the time. Uh, blend game. This week we are celebrating the beloved Danny Boyle. We already raved about yesterday. Uh, we put out yesterday. last week that Danny Boyle blend is this week's game. People played along on social media. A lot of reactions. Hashtag Danny Boyle blend. Yes, there are a lot of reactions. And Gabe is adding audience picks as we speak. I've been told I get to go first. Um, and I, my pick, now I'm curious who's going to have the same pick. Uh, that, I'm gonna that, guess, must, that must mean Jake and I have the same one. I'm going to guess a, you two have the same one. Yeah. Probably. And that mine is different. Um, and mine is 127 hours. Which... Um, feels like a director just challenging themselves, you know, on every technical level. Here you have a character who's pinned under a rock <laughs> for the duration of the movie. Uh, you have to coax an incredible performance out of uh, who I consider to be a, a good actor in James Franco, but I was not prepared when he for cares. Franco. Right. And I was not prepared for what Franco brings to to that role. Um, the fact that Danny Boyle continuously finds creative ways to shoot in the cave, uh, to make that story as compelling as possible when you know the ending, um, when you know what's coming and you're just sort of bracing yourself for it. I also was in the theater when someone passed out during no. that scene. Yeah, we were oh, at the Savannah wow. Film Festival. It was not the opening night fest. I might, might have been the closing of the fest and um, a woman fainted 
And that was funny because like it had happened a couple of times at other theaters. And I was like, well, this is a pretty good marketing stunt that Fox Searchlight has going for 127 hours because I doubt this is actually happening. And then I saw it happen. I actually watched the lady just like wow. fall. And it was so it's those were all way, paid actors. That was my mom. Was uh, your mom? She, she, she showed up at every screening and just passed convincing. out during um, those moments. Yeah. Do you guys remember the sound that Danny Boyle used? It was like violence. I remember yeah, when he cuts into the nerves, doesn't he like it's like, isn't it like guitar strings? Like, yeah. Or, like it's, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it correlates the nerves with guitar strings. It is, yeah. And then Gabe when he is, has to break the bone. Oh, oh Gabe is yeah. freaking out. Yeah. But it's not only that. The scene in 127 Hours that made that movie, for me, a very, very good movie to an all-time classic um, is when the character, James Franco's character, and I'm forgetting his name at this point now, has a vision of his life um, if, if he's able to free himself. And it's like a hazy dream sequence, and he sees the kid uh, that he's eventually going to have, right? And it that just, again, maybe this is the parent in me, that moved me so deeply that that was like the inspiration that this dude needed to yeah. finally hack his own arm off because yeah. <laughs> he wasn't going to have that future. I, think, I just think the technical challenges of it, yeah. the accomplishment of it, the performance by um, Franco... And just, uh, you know, the overall presentation of 127 Hours. That was my number one movie of the year that it came out. And looking back over Danny Boyle's films, um, I like a lot of them. They're fantastic. Uh, But 127 Hours is my favorite. What I love about this podcast is kind of what you just said. Like, Like, we get to bring such unique perspectives to the way we enjoy our films. And, like... Jake and I aren't parents, and so I didn't that that scene. While it was emotional when I saw it, what didn't resonate me with me that hard, obviously, because I don't have any children. Sure. Um, clearly, emotionally, from a from an emotional beat standpoint, uh, we know what Danny's going for there, and we get that he's looking at a child and going, "This is worth it to get out of here for this." But um, see, the, to me, that's that's what's fascinating about our podcast is that like I don't that scene didn't didn't stick with me because yeah. I don't you know I don't have a child so. That's interesting. So and if I, I think about yeah. 127 hours, that's the first scene I think of. That's interesting. Yeah. You think about that scene before you think about before him cutting, the, his, cutting arm his arm off? Yeah, I do. I, wow. I think because because I I didn't expect that scene to right. be in this movie. Right. Okay. Right. That scene being included was a beautiful moment that I think the the main guy whose name is Aaron. I want to say his name is Aaron. Um, that he has said in interviews, he actually did have that vision. He actually did yeah. project forward and think like, what am I going to miss in life if I give in right now? And was, if I let this rock win, essentially. Who was the actress? Was it Elizabeth Olsen? No. What Kate am I Mara. thinking of? Yeah. Right? Well, Wasn't she no, in it? Doesn't she, doesn't no, he, no, Kate Mara was one of the girls he runs into at the beginning. Who? Yeah. Okay, Kate Mara. So it's not Elizabeth Olsen? No. Well, I don't know why I'm thinking about her for some reason. Uh, I don't know. All right. Well, I'm assuming you guys, Amber Tamblin. Is oh, the other was one? She, was she the other? Was she the other person that he jumped with? I'm looking on their thing. I'm right trying now. to remember now who. Uh, I just I don't know why. I think I'm thinking of Marthy, Martha, Martha, Mace, Mace Marlene, whatever. Was. Martha, Martha, May Marlene. I don't know why that's coming to my mind <laughs> randomly, but yeah. All right. What'd you guys choose? Uh, Jake, so you get to go first. I. I really thought I would be uh, in a sort of a lone corner by myself by choosing this. No way, dude. Um, but I, and apparently Kevin, uh, chose Steve Jobs. Yeah. Oh, wow. Really? No, it's like, no question. It is such a perfect, and I don't, I don't want to say too much because I want Kevin to be able to speak No, 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 well. no, but I bet you we come at it from a different perspective. Yeah. You go first. Uh, for me, it's, I, it's the, uh, such a perfect marriage of filmmaking, writing, editing, 
and acting. I mean, it is a mastercraft. If you said sit down and watch uh, a Danny Boyle movie right now, I would go put on Steve Jobs. It's mm-hmm. three acts, basically three scenes, uh, but such, I mean, incredible. Like every, like you have people at the, like some of the, some of the greatest workers of each craft. You have Aaron Sorkin, Danny Boyle, Fassbender, Kate Winslet, Seth Rogen, who is incredible, uh, yeah. Jeff Daniels, some, some of the best, best people working in the business giving you some of their best work. There is a sequence that's cut back. In, how the movie was not nominated for editing, I do not know, hmm. at the Oscars. But there is a sequence where Jeff Daniels essentially asks Steve Jobs, why do people think I fired you? And it go, and it's, it's just them in a hallway yelling at each other. And it goes back and forth between the night where Steve Jobs got fired and Jeff Daniels going, how you told people it happened isn't how it happened. And it's yeah. such... A beautiful five, six, seven minute scene that is perfection in editing, perfection in writing, perfection in directing, perfection in, in acting, and and it's that scene it's multiplied by the entire movie. And there are I, I kept going back, you know, and part of me wanted to choose Twenty Eight Days Later, and then part of me was like, well, traditionally, you know, like Slumdog's the movie he won the Oscars for, but mm-hmm. I kept going back to Steve Jobs, and I was like, I'm sorry, I think that's his best movie. Kevin, what do you think? I mean, there's no question for me. I mean, Steve Jobs is, if there's ever a film that personified music in the form of dialogue, it would be that film. There's something about the way those actors say Aaron's dialogue that is just mind-blowing. I don't understand why it's intense. It's because of the writing and the directing. Um, But Jake makes a great point about the filmmaking. To me... Uh, I think that film is the perfect balance of what it's like to watch a film and appreciate what the director and composer and writer all did behind the scenes at the same exact time being able to submerge yourself in suspension of disbelief. And, and to me, that that to me is a where I find a movie to have reached a beautiful balance. Uh, I think Wes Anderson does it really well, where you are able to go, oh, my gosh. That's a really interesting tracking shot, yet your brain never fully leaves the story. And I think there's a way that this movie handles that is with the subtlety of the way he decided to shoot it. And you're shooting 16 mil millimeter on the early decade or the early year. Yeah, explain that to people for people that don't know. It's insane. So basically, mo- so the majority of films up until recently were shot generally on 35 millimeter, uh, which is the basic uh, you know, format for most films and how they were shot. Nowadays, it's digital. Uh, Chris Nolan goes more extreme, clearly, with the 65 millimeter. I mean, some of the classics were shot 65 millimeters as well, but 35, I would argue that, generally speaking, was the most general, basic way to shoot a movie. Um, so Danny Boyle had this brilliant idea that they were going to showcase these three years uh, and these three movements in technology uh, of Steve Jobs' storyline and film them on three different types of formats, uh, which was, you know, listen, and anybody out there who's not really into filmmaking and not really into the inside baseball stuff, all that does is translate to a subtle consciousness that you think when you're watching the film, you just take the grain and, 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 and think old school, right? So, like, but the idea that he shot, uh, I think it was Super 16, um, for the early decade or the early year, then he went 35 for the middle year and then digital for the final <laughs> uh, year. <laughs> so the movie progressively gets clearer as the technology gets better. Uh, and I think that's just I think that's 
genius. I, you I, know what's I, incredible I, about that too is that a, a normal filmmaker's brain wouldn't even come up with that concept. Yeah, who thinks? And then even uh, I think it's Dan, Daniel Pemberton. Pem, uh, uh, don't quote me. The guy who did the com- music for the film. I think he did the same thing. I think he did like an A track, and then he did like I think he recorded his score for each year with better technology as I think it's Daniel Pemberton or I can't remember his name off the top of my mind Um, there's a great scene in Steve Jobs where Seth Rogen essentially as Wozniak who is great essentially asks Steve like what do you do like you can't put a hammer to a nail you can't do this you can't do that you can't code exactly what do you do and Steve says musicians play their instruments Conductors play the orchestra. Yeah, I play the orchestra. Oh. And to me, that's what Danny Boyle does. Like, you, he has a bunch of people doing the best. They're in, they're, 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 they're in the first chair. You know, you got Aaron Sorkin doing the best Aaron Sorkin. You got Fassbender doing the best Fassbender. And he is the conductor conducting all of them. And he Another, does it yeah. masterfully. Another reason why that film is brilliant is Fassbender looks nothing like Steve Jobs. Yeah, weirdly he, enough, Steve Jobs looks like Ashton Kutcher. Right, but he became Steve Jobs. Like, that was the brilliance Why of did it. it bomb, do you think? I, I, I well, I also think, was, one, it was R-rated. Two, it was very, very dialogue-driven. Three, I don't know. I mean, I, maybe because... I mean, Social he, Network were both of those That's of those true. Things. That's true. Social Network was 13, though. Facebook, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's interesting. It's was an interesting Social Network thing. PG-13? It was, yeah. Oh. So, I, I think... Wait, was jo- Jobs was hard, though. I'm almost sorry. Yeah, Jobs was hard. Oh, yeah. Language alone, we got The Jeff Daniels, the scene Jake was referring to, oh, my God. Like, Why do people think I fired you? Look yeah. it up on YouTube if you haven't... Even if you that scene is amazing. Before we move on, Kevin, I want you to tell the story about this junket really fast because you flew to London to be there for 10 hours. Yeah, this was crazy. So, I was... I had heard so to to Lauren, my wife's Lauren's friend, Lauren's credit. uh, She had read an article prior to Jobs coming out because she's obsessed with Kate Winslet um, that he had shot in these three formats. And I and I heard that I was like, I need to get to wherever this junket is happening (laughs) and talk to Danny Boyle about how he did that. Because I need to know the decision making process, the idea behind it. That was also the junket where I, where I just flat out asked him how he shot the toilet scene in Train Spotting and gave me the entire breakdown of how that yeah. was all done through angles. Um, remember how nasty that toilet is? Uh, oh God! Um, anyway, so uh, once that once the invites came out for that, I was like, I, I can't not do this. So I was in New York for Pan, which was that uh, uh, that really bad Joe Wright, um, Joe Wright, uh, Joe Wright yeah. Hugh Jackman yeah. movie. It wasn't it wasn't I wouldn't say bad. It wasn't good. Um, you could and, say it was right. Joe Wrong. Am I right? It's yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was screw you guys. You no, know what? Actually, Jake, Jake, to be honest with you, you actually cut out in the middle of your jokes. I actually didn't hear it. So what'd you say? No, it's, we've moved on. I actually didn't no, hear it. No, I didn't hear it either. You yeah, actually did, did block yeah, out. Jake, I think it was your Wi-Fi. Go, can, just yeah, repeat it, it for again. us. It was Joe wrong. Oh, they're perfect. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. That, actually, that was great. It's actually pretty good. Thank you. Thank you. I was afraid you were going to pan it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I hate this freaking podcast. Oh, man. Um, all right. So uh, so here's the thing. So I was in New York. I had Pan Thursday, Friday. And then Steve Jobs was on a Saturday in London. And then The Walk, Robert Zemeckis' film, was on Sunday back in New York. Oh, yeah. So, that's right. So what you were supposed to do was you were supposed to go up to New York and just do Pan and then stay over. Steve, Steve I'm sorry, Steve Steve, see the walk <laughs> and then interview the cast of the walk the next day on Sunday. 
Luckily, I was able like to Like a normal human being would right, do Right, that's what a normal human being would do <laughs> So I told Universal, I'm like, no, no, no I need to somehow get to your junket And I wasn't getting Michael Fassbender I was going to London for Steve Jobs To get, to get everybody but Steve Jobs So right. it was, you know, Danny Boyle It was Kate Winslet It was Aaron Sorkin, Seth Rogen It was, it was, it was big names but I Was wasn't Fassbender getting, just not doing it? Because I know I, we didn't get him either I want to say he was, he, was shooting, he was shooting Assassin's, um, Creed. Assassin's Creed. Creed Yeah, Assassin's Creed, that's right So that's right. They were, they thought I was insane. How'd that work out for him? Yeah, yeah, I know. They thought <laughs> yeah, I was insane. As well insane. as Dark Phoenix. <laughs> so what I did was Sony let me see the walk in the field in DC, so I didn't have to be in New York Saturday night to see the walk. So mm. I basically had a free day Saturday. So I told Universal, like, let me fly in Friday night, land Saturday morning in London from New York, see your movie at 9 a.m. Do the interviews at noon and then fly back to New York Saturday night, the same night, same day that I landed, and then wake up the next morning and do the walk interviews. And they were like, if you want to do it, sure. <laughs> I was like, I do want to do it. So I'm, I'll never forget it. I literally took I, so I did my pan interviews Friday morning with Hugh Jackman and the whole cast. I went to an airport, took off on like a 6 p.m. flight, I think it was, out of New York, landed in London at 6 in the morning. Went right to a screening. Now, I was dead tired, and the movie floored me. So that that, that speaks to kind of how great this film was. It, it was a flooring experience. Like, it just what, what jolted me up. That's how good it was. Right. I walked out of the movie at, I think, 11 a.m. or however long it was, and walked into my interviews at noon and then flew back home. And I'll never forget, when I, when I went through customs in London, <laughs> when I landed the first time, the guy goes, how long is your stay here? I said... Just 10 hours. And the guy was like, <laughs> like, he was like, <laughs> I, was like right. I was like, I was like, I will see you in 10 hours. I'm coming back through here in 10 hours. Um, and then I flew back to New York and did the walk. And, and uh, yeah, it was, wor- it was worth it because I'm happy I got to sit down with Danny Boyle and talk about that filmmaking process. Now, years later, I would eventually get him in studio for other films, which I could have easily talked to him about it then. But when you're that floored about a technology that's being used in a film, you want it, you want that person to tell you about it to your face. You know what I mean? So yeah, I was like, sure. I was so. It was worth it. I mean, people think I'm insane, but it was worth it for me. It was so crazy. you stayed up. You stayed up for like a total of 127 hours. Yeah, <laughs> honestly, however, that timing. Yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah, it was 127 hours. You're 100 percent right. right. It almost would have been easier to cut your yeah. own arm off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I want to fly into the sun right now. <laughs> oh. Beautiful. Uh, Daniel Pemberton did do the score. Pemberton's uh, amazing, man. What else has he done? He's done a lot of great stuff. But that score in particular, if you look it up, he followed what Danny did. I think he did cheaper software throughout the years, and then it got better. But imagine, like, go back and watch the movie. Look how clear the recent year looks. It's yeah. unreal. Like, it, And it's so subtle, but it's so Jordan, perfect. Jordan Snyder uh, said Trance, which is also interesting. A, that's a good movie. I, I don't know if I'd say that's a, my favorite by him, but it's a good movie. I'd actually uh, probably put that near the bottom of Kimberly Tremblay says Slumdog Millionaire. Okay, so Slumdog Millionaire, this, that's one of those instances where I, I'm sad that Danny Boyle won his Oscar for that movie. Like, oh, I think it's brilliant. Uh, I, yeah, I love Slumdog. I had him on my radio show for that. And uh, speaking of, um, I actually brought this up to him at, at the Steve Jobs. I know we have to go, but this is actually fascinating. Um, I'll keep it brief. So back when he shot that movie, uh, I think in certain areas of India, I believe, I, I'm paraphrasing him, he was not allowed to roll motion 
uh, video. Like you weren't Golly. allowed to shoot video. What? Um, yeah, and, and I'll, I'll go back and find the interview. It was, a ra- it was on my old radio show. Um, I, I don't know the exact parameters around it, but there were. He was not. He did not have the ability to actually shoot moving video, um, actual motion video. So he had to take these still shots as the actors were moving, which is why they look so jittery as the characters are running really? through. Oh yeah. And now I don't know what exact scenes that pertain to. If I can go back and find the audio, I brought it up to him again in my Steve Jobs interview. It should be on YouTube if you want to listen to it. Um, but he had to shoot still photography and then pop those photos together, 24 photos at a time, right? To get the motion of the jittering element of the characters running through parts That's of insane. India. Oh, That's yeah. actually really I cool. I mean, it blew my mind. I mean, Slumdog Millionaire was an astounding achievement. It was, that, I mean, I, I, yeah, yeah, it's amazing. The DIY, a DIY approach that I feel like Danny Boyle still does to this day. Like, he's he's an incredibly successful, award-winning documentary, or a, a filmmaker, not documentary, who I still feels like just gets down and dirty and is still making, like, a student film every single time. Well, did like you see the like, article about him saying he, that's why, like, I feel like him and someone like a Nolan will never, like, I think he said he'll never do a Bond movie, right? I think he was attached to one, I believe, yeah. and then yeah, he, yeah. and then his reasoning was that 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 franchise uh, scope kind of limits the creativity of a director. Now we've seen directors shine in these franchise movies. I mean, sure. Sam Mendes destroyed it in Skyfall; like yeah. it was unbelievable. That was basically a Christopher Nolan movie. It felt like uh, so. I just think that people like Danny Boyle are so hardcore indie, and they're so hardcore like coming up with ideas to make them unique that he couldn't fit himself into a box of a franchise. That's why I'm a little concerned. I'm a little concerned about Kerry Fukunaga and what he's going to do with Bond 25. Yeah, dude, that tracking shot from True Detective, man. Unbelievable, right. And the the tracking shots in Haunting of Hill House are the reason why I'm excited about Flanagan. I'm more excited about Deep Doctor Sleep because of Flanagan than I am of anything else. I didn't read the book, so I'm, I'm kind of... Coming at this as like a, just a just a hey a shining sequel kind of thing, you know what I mean? All right. Danny Gurch said millions, which is a really sweet story. Um, again, punched up by Danny Boyle's style, his visual approach to it. Uh, Michael Kamen's and many many others uh, also said Steve Jobs. Nobody said Twenty Eight Days Later, or no one that we've documented said Twenty Eight Days Later. I think Weeks is better than that. later. No. <clears throat> I think weeks is better than days. No. I really do. I think 28 weeks later is better than days. 28 weeks days later was, was my initial choice. 28 is, weeks was amazing. Is weeks nah. Alex Garland? Nah, dude. No, weeks was Danny Boyle. They, he no, did was both? No, Bo- Boyle did not do both. Wait, then who did 28 weeks later? It's I think not, it's, it's Alex Garland. Boyle. The guy who did Ex Machina? Yeah, I think it's Alex Are Garland. Are you kidding me? I might be way wrong. While you're looking that up, I'm going to go through and finish this off. So anybody can continue to follow the show. Oh, next week. Forgot to mention next week. Um, we have a blend game that everybody can play along with. So you can go to social media and use hashtag Kurt Russell blend oh. to play along with the films of cool. the legendary Kurt, Kurt Russell. Russell. How do we choose Kurt Russell blend? I chose him because I want to talk about Kurt Russell next no, that's week. That's great, but you I'm know, just wondering what the yeah. How come we don't take turns choosing? Yeah. You, you guys can help me out with suggestions I, I any time. Vo- like Jake said, voice blend. I want to do uh, final line blend. Yeah. How about you guys put an email together and send it to Gabe, our producer, because quite often he'll put them into the bottom to surprise all of us. Um, but this week in I'm particular, there's a little peek behind the curtain. Gabe said, I don't have anything for next week, so if you have a cool one that you want to do, 
put it in there, and I pulled Kurt Russell out of thin air. That big commission is unique as an AK mission. By the way, 28 Weeks Later was directed by <laughs> someone I had not heard of before. Juan what? Carlos Friends Nadillo. Um, that oh, was sure. That was really the only thing he ever did that we had no, heard of. No, he did the RoboCop remake, I bet. No, did he, he didn't. Did he do the RoboCop remake? No, no. Uh, he, he, did, he did 28 Weeks Later in 2007. Then he did a movie called Intruders in 2011, which I don't know what that is. 2014, he did a movie called Wednesday. And then he has a TBA film and now called The Sword in the Stone. I don't know why he's doing that. Wednesday's um, a sequel. To, to Tuesday? Tuesday? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes. Uh, let us know your pick for Kurt Russell Blend at realblend at cinemablend.com. You can also go to uh, our Twitter feed. Obviously, we are at realblend. You can find the guys individually at Jake's Takes. At Kevin oh, McCarthy TV and I at Sean question. underscore O'Connell. You have the hard out. Stop distracting no, us. What? I, when can we hear your Kevin Feige interview on the other podcast? Great question. That is a great question. Gabe? Uh, I'm really, I can't well, wait to hear I mean, that. Didn't Gabe said he would give it a listen oh, if it was right. good enough? Gabe has to and seeing as it that. didn't end up on right. the podcast, it's clearly not good enough. Gabe, yeah. did you listen to it yet? Is it good enough? Is Do it you worthy? Approve? Do you approve of it, Gabe? He's not sure. Oh, He's yeah. still deciding. Okay. Still in council. Yeah. Uh, do us a favor. Please, someone go and give us a review on iTunes. I don't really care how um, many reviews that we get on here, but they have to be. I got to be at a round number. This 59 is going to drive me nuts. God, I swear to God, I hope we come back and it's 61. <laughs> that would hurt even more. Yes, it would. Uh, we'll be back next week where we're going to have our spoiler-filled conversation with John Watts, so make sure you go out of your way to see Spider-Man Far From Home. And... Um, we are working on getting some other exciting interviews uh, in the yeah, future. Yeah, we are. We're afraid to Wait, talk Spidey about because opens next Tuesday. Wow. Yeah, and then we're gonna have a, a spoiler thing right after that. So enjoy your Fourth of July's, everybody. Uh, go to the movies. Oh. We'll see you after Spider-Man: Far From Home. And until we meet again, I have, I have an idea. By the way, and I know I know you're wrapping me up, and I know I have a hard out because I'm going to see Midsummer. Um, is it I Midsummer or Midsummer? Um, I think Summer. it'd be funny, and I, maybe we can put this on social media as well. Have our listeners. Maybe email or tweet us yeah. what they would have asked John Watts after seeing Spider-Man. And I, and I wonder if any of their questions would then match up to what we actually asked. I like that idea. Like, I, I think that everything we asked is something that we were all genuinely thinking. I would just be curious to know what our listeners would have asked John Watts if they could have sat down with him right after seeing those two ending credit scenes and the movie. Like a do our work for us. I'm just curious what they would have asked. How because, would you have done our jobs better? No, like, yeah. what would you? I, but I feel like we covered everything that anybody would have asked him in that room. I just want yeah. to know what else people would have asked him. That's, that's all yeah. I want to know. All right, that's your homework for for this week, uh, Blenders. And so we will talk to you next week on episode number 75. That's a nice round number. See, 75. I'm okay with that. It's an odd number. But it's a nice round number. It's like a 70, 75, 80, 60 reviews. 60 reviews. All right, Dunkirk. Dunkirk! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here we go. Gabe, please make that the new sound for when you transition to. (laughs) This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. 
Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.